Welcome to the Ridge Life Podcast. We at Pleasant Ridge Christian Fellowship trust this message will be an encouragement to you. If you're interested in more information about our church, visit our website at lifeattheridge.church. We're over here in the uh, book of Philippians. Uh, Philippians chapter number two is where we're going to find our text here this morning. And if you're just joining with us, we've been uh, taking this journey through the book of Philippians and just really seeing what, uh, what God has to say um, about our faith in him, the, the place where we find our joy, the place where we find unity in Christ. And uh, if you can recall with me, uh, Paul here, he's, uh, he's been in prison and uh, he's chained to a Roman guard, and he's been there um, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and he's writing to this church at Philippi, thanking them for this financial gift that has been given to him by Epaphroditus. And um, he basically tells them, you know, you guys have been with me through, with this since the beginnings, which has been about a span of about 10 years, and he's giving them some things to help them, to strengthen them, to encourage them in their own Christian uh, faith walk. And where we've been really honing in on here is uh, in chapter number two, as uh, Paul is talking to them, telling them that they need to have unity. They need to be uh, unified in one body, in one spirit, in one mind, um, because Christ has brought all of us together uh, through the gospel. And he says we do that through humility. And he gives us this example of humility by giving us the example of Jesus Christ, how Christ, who left the glory of heaven, came down to earth, he humbled himself, became a servant, and became obedient even to the death of the cross. And he says, you need to have that same mindset amongst yourselves in order to have unity. And so he's been going on talking about this, and we're going to pick up here in verse number 12 in uh, chapter number two, and we see this other word here, and he says, therefore, and it's just a continuation of everything he's been talking about, therefore, you need to be doing these things, therefore, you need to have these things uh, in your life. And uh, the verses here that we're going to look at here, verses uh, 12 and 13, there's this call here for us to be working out our salvation. And, uh, you know, we're, we're faced with a difficulty here in this passage um, because it says for us to work out, but also it tells us that it is God who is the one that is working in us. So we are to work out, but it says that God is the one that is working in us. And so how do we reconcile those two things, right? I mean, uh, if, if it's all of God and not of us, but then Paul says, no, it's of you, but it's also of God. How do we, how do we reconcile those things if we're going to have unity and humility? How do we work those out? Um, this passage, I believe, has caused some confusion for some because some people don't understand the relationship of how God is at work in us in, at the matter of salvation. Uh, so when we come to know Christ, God is at work in us. And some people believe that, uh, you know, it's, uh, well, we just kind of let go and let God. You know, Christ has saved me, and he's just going to do whatever he can. And so uh, that's just where we're going to leave it. But then there are other people that really stress the idea, no, you got to do this and this and this and this and this and this. And they put all the emphasis on yourself, 
and uh, they really leave out uh, the grace of God, which is at work uh, in us. So uh, where's the biblical balance in all that? Well, I, I submit to you that the Bible teaches both. It is both of God and of us in matters of our sanctification, our growth, how God is working in us. You know, we must remember that it is God who brings the whole plan of our salvation to completion. So uh, we have a responsibility in all of that. So here's what I'd like for you to take away with you today. As God is working salvation in you, learn how to work it out. As God is working salvation in you, learn how to work it out. And just to be clear, we're not talking about that we are the ones that work for salvation. This is people, Paul is talking to people that are already Christians, but the command is for us to allow the salvation that God has began in us, that uh, we are to be working those things out. So as God is working salvation in us, learn how uh, to work it out. And salvation is not a one-time thing in, in the fact of it's not like I got saved and that's it. Uh, salvation is an ongoing process in our life. As we learn more about who Christ is and about the gospel, we are repenting of our old life, our old sins, and we are being renewed in the new man, which is created after Christ Jesus. And you see that throughout all of scripture. So let's take a look here at our text here this morning. Uh, verses 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. To understand this text, we must take note of the context. Remember what we're talking about here. He's talking about unity. He's talking about humility. And he's saying, therefore, you got to remember, therefore, this is what we're talking about. I've made a call for you to have unity amongst yourselves. I've made a call for you to recognize of how Christ has, hum has humbled himself and became obedient unto death. He says, I want you to have this same mind. He says, if you're gonna do that, therefore, what are you gonna have to do? You're gonna have to work out your salvation uh, that uh, God is at work in you, both to work and to will of his good pleasure. And so notice how concerned he is for them. Look what he says here. Therefore, my beloved. And so he's, he's talking to them. He, he knows these people. He knows uh, what's going on in their lives. And he's pleading for them. And he's saying, my beloved, listen, I want you to work out your salvation that is in you, which God had started, which God had, had, had begun. And he says, it is God who is working in you and he says, my beloved, he's saying these things to them. You know, it's interesting to think about all this because what is, what is really the main driving force behind all of the reason why Paul is telling this, these things? Why should they have unity? Why should they have humility? Well, it's because they live in a crooked and perverse generation. And isn't that the same thing that us as believers do as well? We as human beings, as believers in Christ, we live in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. The world is watching us. And so Paul is calling them for a standard of living to say, you guys need to have unity. You need to have humility 
because it's a testimony of the saving grace of God in your life. And he's saying, my beloved, I want you to live this way. And so if we talk about salvation, but we can't get along together in our homes or in our churches, uh, the world really laughs at our message because it's kind of like, well, is that really true? I mean, look how you're treating one another. We're supposed to be treating each other with unity and humility. And so we are supposed to be laying aside our selfishness and we're supposed to be regarding uh, ourselves, uh, regarding one another as more important than ourselves is what he said in uh, Philippians 2, 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. And so uh, Paul's main message here is that we need to work out the practical implications of our salvation because God himself is working in our midst. Now look here at verse number 12. Paul says to these Philippian believers, you've got to work out your salvation. Now what does that mean? What does that mean that we work out our salvation? Lots of people have been disturbed by that statement. I've talked to people uh, counseling with them and they tell me, oh, well, that means that you can lose your salvation. Because look, it says right here, you got to work at your salvation. And if you're not working at it, that means you're going to lose it. Um, some people think that means that you work for your salvation. Some people think it means that you work at your salvation. Some people might think it means to work up your salvation. But salvation is not by works, is it? Ephesians chapter 2, 8 and 9, for by grace you save through faith and that not of yourselves, not of works, lest any man should boast. You can't work it up. You can't work at it. You can't work for it. Romans 3 uh, verses uh, 21 through 24 is very clear on this. It says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift, not of works, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So we don't work for our salvation. Uh, there's other religious uh, cults that teach that you earn your salvation by good works, deeds. Uh, biblical Christianity is the only one that teaches that salvation is all of grace, nothing that we do. And so if you're listening today and if you're thinking to yourself, well, you know what, I got some pretty good chances of going to heaven because of this, 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 this. Uh, you're not going to make it. Uh, your self-righteous works or good deeds uh, that you have done uh, is not enough for you to inherit eternal life. In fact, if you're going to try to do that, Jesus calls you a thief and a liar. So there's no salvation by works because the point is crucial. And, and let me be very blunt with this, okay? If you think that you're going to heaven because you're a pretty good person, you're not going to heaven. That's how blunt it is. It's not of works. So the only ones going to heaven are those who have recognized that they were lost and called out to God for salvation, repented of their sin, and believed in Christ, uh, the only one sufficient enough to save them. So he's not saying here, work for, work at, work up your salvation. He's saying, 
work out your salvation. There's a difference. Now, he gives them a command here. Look at this. He says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my present, but much more in my absence, work out. It's a command. And this command is a continual emphasis, continually to work. Work out, work out, work out. That's why it's not just a one-time thing. It's a continual process. And this is all about our sanctification and growth in Christ. He's telling us that we need to continually, continually, continually to work it out. Keep on continually making the effort to work out your salvation. Now, what does it specifically mean? Well, let's do a little digging here. This word here always means to bring something to fulfillment, to fullness or completion. And so what he is saying here is this, the salvation that is in you needs to be brought out all the way to its fulfillment, to its fullness. And so really it's a command for sustained effort and diligence in working out what has already been planted within. Let me show you a couple of scriptures here that really kind of drive this point home. Let's turn over to the book of 1 Kings. 1 Kings chapter number 8. And I want to show you the same principle that is all throughout Scripture. Uh, this is nothing, it's not like Paul just thought of this and said, oh, hey, this is a great idea. This is something that God has been doing throughout all of Scripture. Look at uh, 1 Kings chapter number 8. And uh, look with me here in uh, verse number 54. So here we have Solomon, and he's praying this prayer, this dedicatory prayer. And uh, he's speaking to the people of Israel here, and they've dedicated this place here that has been built for the worship of God, the temple. And here in this, verse 54, it says, Now as Solomon finished offering all this prayer and plead to the Lord, he arose from before the altar of the Lord where he had knelt with his hands outstretched toward heaven. And he stood and blessed all the assembly of Israel with a loud voice. Now, so he's just prayed. They've dedicated the temple. And listen to what he says now to the people there of Israel. Okay? Here's his speech. Follow along here. Verse number 56. Blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel according to all that he had promised. Not one word has failed of all his good promise, which he spoke by Moses, his servant. The Lord our God be with us as he was with our fathers. May he not leave us or forsake us. Now, verse 58, this is where it gets good. Notice this, that he may incline our hearts to him. You ought to underline that verse, that he may incline our hearts to him. Okay? He goes on to walk in all his ways, to keep his commandments, his statutes, his rules, which he commanded our fathers. Let these words of mine, which I have pleaded before the Lord, be near to the Lord our God day and night, and may be maintain the cause of his servant and the cause of his people Israel, as each day requires. That all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God, there is no other. Now here it is again, verse 61. Let your heart, therefore, be holy true. So in other words here, if we're going to be obedient, Solomon is talking to them and he's saying, listen, I want you to know something. He says, 
God here wants us to have our hearts inclined towards him. God is doing something. He's, he's bringing our hearts towards himself. But he says, here's the other part of it. Verse 61, let your heart, therefore, be holy, true. And so if we're going to be obedient, who is gonna have to make us obedient? God is. And he says, I'm pleading with God to incline our hearts to himself. That's a man who's saying, our ability to obey is built on God, moving our hearts towards him. In other words, it's a divine work. And in verse 61 here, he says, let your heart therefore be wholly true. And he tells him how to the Lord our God, walking in his statutes, keeping his commandments as this day. So he says, look, God, we're depending upon you, but also we're not just gonna leave it all in your hands. He says, we need to do something ourselves. He says, you're drawing us to you, but now we in turn need to be working out this salvation that has been brought about in our lives. So if you were standing there the day with, and you were listening to Solomon, and someone were to come and tell you and say, well, tell me about spiritual living. What did Solomon have to say about all this stuff? How do we grow in the Lord? How does it happen? Is it something that we do or something that God does? You'd say, well, both. You see, we pray, oh God, incline our hearts to you. And then we exhort, well, you better wholly then devote your heart towards God. And it's the same principle that we find that Paul stressed in the book of Philippians as well. Let's look at another example. Let's turn over to Second uh, Peter chapter 3, verse number uh, 14. Look at this. Excuse me, Second Peter chapter 2, verse 14. Peter gives us some example here about people. These are false teachers. These are prophets. And he says, these people are even among you. And he says, I want you to know how their hearts are, the way these people are. And by the way, if you are without Christ, you too have this type of heart, okay? Look what he says here, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 14. He says, they have eyes full of adultery, instainable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed, accursed children. Hearts trained in greed. Before we came to know Christ, our hearts were trained in greed. That's what we are. We come to know Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell inside of us, but we still have a flesh that we must deal with. We are still bent on certain sinful habits, sinful living. And so what do we have to do? Well, Peter actually answers that for us. Look what he says in uh, 2 Peter chapter 1. And uh, look here in verse number 3. He says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. So he says it's all of God to begin with. Everything related to life and godliness is God's gift to us. His divine power does it all. It was all by his divine power that we were literally saved. Did you save yourself or did Christ save you? Christ saved you. Ephesians chapter uh, two tells us that we were dead. He resurrected us to life. You didn't do that. Christ did that. 
Look at verse number four. He tells us here, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises that so through him you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. And so of this divine nature, we've escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. We say, well, that's all of God. God's doing all of that. All these things pertaining to life and godliness. But then look what, look what Peter does. Look at verse number five. For this reason, if God has begun this work of salvation in you, then he says, look, verse number five, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so in other words, he says, you better be diligent then to be producing all of those things in your life, working out your salvation. He says, it's all of God on one hand, but it takes everything that you've got on the other hand to be diligent about working these things out. It's the same thing that Solomon said, same thing that Paul said. Now with this in mind, let's turn back over here to Philippians 2 and look at the text. You see the exact same thing here. You see God's part, God's part is our, is our part is uh, to work out our salvation. So God has wrought salvation in you. He began it, right? And our part now is the fact that we are to be working that out. And so if you know Christ, you have a treasure that has been planted in you. In fact, even Paul said that. He says that we have a treasure that is in earthen vessels. How many of you ever been to uh, West Virginia? A few of you? Okay. You know, the thing about driving through West Virginia is there's nowhere to pull off to the side of the road. I mean, it's just like, you know, two lanes and it's just back and forth, up and down, up and down. But you know, when you drive through West Virginia, what is the one thing that you always see? What is, a, what is in West Virginia, what is there a lot of? What? What? Mountains, yeah. And what's in those mountains? Trees, but what's in the mountain? Coal, okay. So we've got a lot of coal mines, right? And you see all these, these things, these mine shafts. And what are those people doing? They're going into the mine shaft and they're mining it out and they're bringing it out of the mountain continuously, continuously, continuously. I want you to think of it the same way like this. Christ has deposited a rich treasure of salvation in you. Now, it's not this whole thing of just saying, well, hey, I'm saved now, therefore I'm totally perfect. No. What should we be doing? We are to be mining out that rich treasure of God's grace and his richness of salvation continually. We're working it out, bringing it out, bringing it out, bringing it out continually. And so we are to mine out of my life and your life what God has richly deposited in there. We're to produce such precious nuggets of personal character from what God has planted in me in my salvation. 
We could say that we are to work out in daily conduct what God has already put in. Day-to-day holy living. That's the idea. I'm to be committed to this process of my salvation, coming to the outside in the sense that it's my manifest, in my conduct, in my behavior, my manner of life. I really want to drive this home this truth because I think there's some misunderstanding uh, in some Christian circles that uh, thinking that since we've been saved that now we are completely, totally perfect. You see, when there's three aspects of our salvation, we were saved, we are being saved, and one day we will be completely, totally saved. And so the day that we trusted Christ as our savior, we repented of our sin, Christ came to indwell us, we're saved. But now we are to continually be working out our salvation, repenting of sin, believing the gospel, trusting Christ more, repenting, trusting Christ more, repenting, trusting Christ more, working it out, working it out, working it out. But then one day when Christ returns, we will be completely, totally holy, completely. Listen to what uh, scripture teaches about some of this stuff. Romans chapter 6, verse number 19. Just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now continually, there it is, present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. In other words, you have the responsibility, you and I have the responsibility to present all of our human faculties to the patterns of righteousness in the process of sanctification. It's not just a, well, hey, I'm saved, so I'm totally perfect now. No, we have to continually work at it. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse number 1, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Ephesians chapter number 4 tells us to walk worthy of the calling to which you were called. And he details how we're to do that. We're to be putting off the old man and putting on the new man. It's a continual process. Colossians chapter number three tells us that we have a new life that has been set aside and we are to set aside all these things, the wrath, the anger, so forth and so forth, lying, deceit, all of that stuff. We're supposed to set it aside. And so we have a responsibility. We're called to holy living on a daily basis. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24, Paul says this, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. And he talks about in verse 25, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like one that's beating the air. Paul's giving us an example. He says, look, the Christian life takes effort. We got to work it out. He's saying, if I'm going to run a race, there's the finish line. And he's not going, all right, I'm running the race. I'm running the race. Woo, woo. No, he's not doing it aimlessly. He's got a goal set in mind, and that is holy living. And he says, I'm going to strive for that. He doesn't say, all right, I'm in a boxing match. He doesn't go up to boxing and be like, all right, there's my opponent. No, 
He said, I'm not one that's beating the air. There's purpose behind it. It's striving. It takes effort on our part. Verse 27, he says, I pummel or I punch my body and I make it my slave. He says, I bring it into subjection. That's a lot of effort, running, boxing, punching his own body, giving it a knockout punch to bring it under holy living. You see, this is a race. Paul says in his second epistle to Timothy, I have fought the good what? Fight. It's a fight. It's effort. We got to work at it. He says, I finished the course. It's a battle. It's a race. It's a boxing match. He says, along the way that through this whole process, we are wrestling. We're wrestling. We're working at it. It's a great struggle of that. Later on in Philippians uh, chapter uh, 3, uh, verse number uh, 12, look at what Paul says about this. He says, not that I have already obtained this. Obtained what, Paul? That I am totally holy, perfect right now. He says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. And he later on goes on to say, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And so when we understand about why we are to work out this salvation that is in us, this next statement, look what he says here in verse number 12, work out your own salvation with what? Fear and trembling. This implies both a reverent fear of God and awareness of my own weakness and propensity towards sin that leads me to judge my own self. Do you ever get in the habit, maybe this has happened in your own life, you know, you know what you're supposed to do, right? You're supposed to be living a holy life. And what do we do? We sin. <sighs> Can't believe that. I can't tell you how many times I've talked to people that have struggled with pornography and they get into this, this vicious cycle where they seek out pornography because we have sin in us, right? Our hearts have been trained in greed. We seek it out. They do it. They feel guilty. They feel that they've let God down. They get depressed. And so what do then they do? They go back to it. And it's a vicious cycle. And that could be said of anything, any type of sin. And so God tells us here, we need to be working these things out with fear and trembling. We need to understand that we still can sin and we still do sin. That's why you're to be judging, examining ourselves, looking into our hearts, making sure that it's right on track with God's word repenting of sin daily. Paul viewed this same way in his own Christian life. I fight, I strive, I press. And so right now we are being saved. We are working out our salvation and God has begun this work in us. Let's look at the second thing here. So not only we are to work out our salvation, but look at this, God who works in you. 
The reason here the Philippians needed to work out their own salvation was that it was God who was at work among them, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now he begins the good work in us. Look what he says there in uh, Philippians chapter one, number six. It says, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. John chapter one, verses 12 to 13 Jesus said this, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. James chapter one, verse 18 says, in the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth so that we might be, as it were, the first fruits among his creatures. Jesus said in John 15, 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. So we must understand that salvation is totally a work of God. I love this quote by Jonathan Edwards. He said, you contribute nothing to your salvation except the sin that made it necessary. And that's it. So not only is God at work in our salvation, but also he is at work in us. Look at verse number 13. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work. Now, what does that mean? To will and to work. To will and to work. You see, verse 13 supplies the reason for obeying that command. What is the command? <laughs> well, look what he says. To work out your own salvation. Now, this is what is so awesome about the Christian life. And I tell people this constantly. People that I counsel with. You know, I show them what the scripture says that you're supposed to do. And they say, well, that's hard. How am I supposed to do that? How can I do that? Well, it is God who is at work in you, both to work and to will of his own good pleasure. You see, as believers in Christ, we have the power of the Holy Spirit who is at work in us. And God never gives a command to believers that, he, that they cannot fulfill. So if God tells us this is what we're supposed to be doing, we have the power and the ability to not only obey the command, but actually to do it because God is at work in us. Let's dig into this just a little bit more. Take note of the phrase here. It is God who works in you. That word work is the word energy. You see it? Make the connection. It's God's continual, uninterrupted work of moving us along to greater and greater growth in the love for God and men. It's that energy, that work that is in us. Uh, Paul said it this way in the book of Ephesians, it is the power of God. The same power that resurrected Christ from the dead is the same power that is at work in you. So we have the power to actually obey the scripture and to do what God has called us to do, to work out that salvation. You see, we can obey God's commands because he is at work within us. We contribute to God working in us by making those daily choices to die to self. And we have the power and the energy to do so because it is God who is at work in us. Jesus said it this way in John 15 verses one and two. I am the vine, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He takes away every branch that does not bear fruit in me. He prunes every branch that bears fruit so that it will bear 
more fruit. So see, by God's working in us, it allows us to do a couple things. What? Both to will, to do what is right, as well as the energy to do it. You see, God never gives these commands without us being able to fulfill them. So we don't need something else to help us in our Christian living. We only need the truthfulness of the word of God. I am so amazed today of how many Christians run to other things to help them with all of their problems, but yet you have everything you need right here. And it is God who is at work in us, both to will and to work of his good pleasure. You got marriage problems? Ephesians chapter number five. You got problems raising your children? Ephesians chapter number six. You got problems with OCD? Philippians chapter four, verses six through eight. God has the ability to help us to work in us so that we can obey his commands. Let me show you a very awesome scripture that I think would be very encouraging and helpful to you. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse number 18. And I encourage you to read all of 2 Corinthians chapter number 3, uh, specifically verses 4 through 18. But just as a summary, God shows us that he is, that it is the Holy Spirit who is at work in us. And look at verse number 18, because this is awesome. And we all with an unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the spirit. The idea here is Moses was up on the mount talking with God and he comes down off the mount and it says that his face was glowing, it was shining and he had to put a veil over his face because of the holiness of God. And so God tells us here that just as Moses' face was transformed, he tells us here that when we look into the word of God, that it transforms us from one degree to one degree. It's a slow, continual process. So the more that we look into the word of God, the more that we're changed and transformed into the very image of Jesus Christ. And so the spirit is the one that is at work in all of this. It is God who works in you both to will and to work of his good pleasure. So let's look here lastly. And this, we're gonna tie all of this together because we're talking about unity and humility, right? The command is for us to do this. Work out your salvation in your relationships. And so this is the main point of Paul's appeal here. That if we're truly saved by God's working in us, then we are under obligation then to work out relational differences by following Christ's example of dying to self. And we can. We can humble ourselves. We can prefer another above ourselves. Why? Because we have the Holy Spirit that is at work in us, both to work and to will of his good pleasure. And so we are to be working that out. And so if you claim to be saved, but you persist in selfishness and refusing to yield your rights in demanding your own way, whether at home, in the church, your life isn't backing up your claim. If the living God truly is at work in our midst, we must work out these relational differences in a spirit of Christ-like humility and love. And verse 12 here talks about that obedience to God. Verse 13 talks about the grace of God that is at work in our hearts that we have that ability. And so you've got to work out your own individual salvation in your relationships in life. 
I mean, just think about in the home. I mean, if you have some stress, some difficulty going on in the home, what's the answer? God's word tells us what to do. And we have the ability to obey that and follow through with what God's word tells us to do. So we got to do it. I might also add that the reason we work out our salvation in terms of good relationships really isn't primarily so we'll be happy, but rather for God's good pleasure. Because that's what he says here. For God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And in the grand scheme of all this, when people who are lost see how we are at work in our, in our relationships and we are obeying scripture and we're doing what God's word commands, it speaks volumes of who God is. That we as sinful, selfish human beings can actually obey scripture and do what God tells us to do. And it speaks volumes about that. Let's pray together. If you're interested in more information about our church or knowing the peace that Jesus gives, visit our website at lifewiththeridge.church.